Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much. And Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash sacred text. Chapter 3, The Burrow Ron, breathed Harry, creeping to the window and pushing it up so they could talk through the bars. Ron, how did you... what the... I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Tech Kyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Thank you to all of you who have already booked tickets for the live show, which is going to be on January 24th in Cambridge, Massachusetts. You can find all of the information about the show at harrypottersacredtext.com, and we really hope to see you there. It's going to be awesome. It is going to be really fun. It's going to be fun. And we're really cute for radio. Casper, now that we're done shamelessly promoting ourselves, can you tell me a story? Vanessa, as you know, I am obsessed with RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm a little obsessed with the fact you're obsessed. It's a reality TV show that pits different drag queens against each other to be the best drag queen, the next drag queen superstar, and be crowned victorious by RuPaul, herself an amazing drag queen of the decades. And 
I love this show, but I can't explain why. I, I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't watch a lot of reality TV. But this show just captures my imagination. And I have become so curious about it that I watch recaps of the show. I watch recaps of recaps of the show. I watch discussions where people like vote up and down on people's outfits on social media. It has gotten so bad that my husband has to knock on my door and say, Casper, drag time is over. You have to come back to me. But like, I'm just obsessed with the show. And the curiosity that I have for it is insatiable. Like I keep wanting more. And I don't know why. I'm not a fashion-y person. I'm not a reality TV person. So just this question of what is curiosity? How does it have a hold on us? How does it shape us? Where does it come from? These are all questions that I really brought with me when we read chapter three of Chamber of Secrets, where we're reading it through the theme of curiosity. I'm so excited to talk about curiosity with you because I'm hearing you say that for you, there's an association between curiosity and joy. And I love that energy going into this chapter. And I really think that that's what Harry is experiencing in this chapter, right? He's so curious about the Burrow and the Weasley family, and he's just bringing so much happiness and joy into that curiosity. So I think that that story is just a great, exciting way to get into this chapter and introduce us to the Burrow, which is one of my favorite places to hang out in the imaginative world of Harry Potter. I love the Burrow. Absolutely. Except that ghoul. Well, maybe the ghoul is part of the charm. It is part of the charm. Vanessa, before we dive into our thematic discussion, let's do our 30-second recap of Chapter 3, The Burrow. I just want to say that last week I got a text from a friend saying, you were so great at the 30-second recap. And that high has stayed with me for days. I'm very happy for you, and I would like to compliment your campaign strategist for setting expectations low early on so that you just have to clear the lowest hurdles. So, yeah, it's great that your friends have low expectations of you. Ready? Bring it on. On your mark. Get set. Go. So there is Ron at the window with the Weasley twins, and they pull the bars out of the window. Harry uh, is about to get in the car, but it's like, oh, my God, all my stuff is done. And says they, so they go downstairs, get the stuff. Vernon wakes up because of Hedwig. He forgets. Uh, Harry forgets Hedwig, gets in the car. They drive. They land. Magic car. Um, they don't didn't tell their parents that they stole the car. Um, Molly gets there, and she's like, oh, my God, how dare you? Um, and she's so angry with Arthur because he lied, saying that it was just for research purposes. They have lots of breakfast. They denome the garden. Um, and, you know, life happens <laughs> I felt like you were going Dada but then you kept going with complete sentences I I, try, I did my best but it ended in nothingness as does life Vanessa so. yeah no it was an existential meditation that you were doing are you ready for your round Vanessa of course I am here we go three two one Go. The Weasleys come in a car to pick up Harry. Harry um, grabs all of his stuff and grabs Hedwig. Fred and George help him. And they drive off and they go to the burrow and they arrive at the burrow. And Mrs. Weasley is really mad because Fred and George and Ron aren't as good as the older siblings. And But she's really happy to see Harry and she's really welcoming to Harry. And Harry just falls in love with the burrow. He helps denim the garden. Ginny has a really big crush on Harry and that's awkward. Arthur comes and is like, oh, Harry, I'm so excited that you're here. And they have all these lovely conversations. And Harry really appreciates that he he feels loved and he loves the world. I mean, Mrs. Weasley's pretty mad. I, yes. <laughs> so I guess I'm bad at this. <laughs> All right. Where, where should we start thematically? So I've had this idea that's been percolating over the last week about curiosity and that I saw in the chapter and that I think your story completely validated for me. 
which is that curiosity and love are inextricably linked. That curiosity is actually a loving act. And I think we see this in Ron. Ron, I would say, is more skilled at loving than Harry. Although Harry intuitively understands love, he just like hasn't had a lot of practice with it. So Harry, when he doesn't get letters from Ron, is like, I guess Ron never liked me. Whereas Ron, when he doesn't get letters back from Harry, is curious as to what's going on with Harry. And so he shows up. And that curiosity is a form of really sophisticated love. When somebody is mean to me, if I really love them and know them, I'm like, oh, what's going on there? That's probably not about me. Like something might really be going on. Whereas if somebody is mean to me and I don't really love them, I'm like, screw them. Who do they think they are? Right. So I think that I'm I'm wondering what you think about the relationship between curiosity and love and how we see it in this chapter. That's such a great thought, Vanessa. And it's making me think of Arthur Weasley and the Enchanted Car. You know, in this chapter, we learn that Arthur, who works in the Ministry of Magic, where he's responsible for, you know, finding people who are illegally magicking... Muggle artifacts. Muggle artifacts. Arthur secretly at home has enchanted this whole muggle car to be able, you know, so it can fly and all sorts of things. So we learn that Arthur's kind of stance to the world, especially to the muggle world, which is foreign, which is different, is so open and so curious and means that he is loving towards muggles in a way that many witches and wizards are not. Especially because he comes from an old wizarding bloodline and there seems to be a resistance in the older wizarding bloodline families to muggles, but he's this anomaly of he loves muggles. And so much of that is yeah, countering that closed-mindedness exactly that you find in the ancient wizarding family. So you have to be, your mind has to be open, but your heart has to be open to, to potential possibilities that you know, we can't even imagine. To be curious means that you have to be willing to accept an answer that you don't know. Yeah. So it's curiosity where you really have no idea what the outcome is going to be. And you don't have a, a stake in what the outcome is. Exactly. So one of the definitions of gossip that I really love that's a Jewish idea of gossip is that it is sharing information when it is for the point of something positive, And it's gossip when it is for the sake of entertainment in and of itself. That's just like when I stalk ex-boyfriends online. Like, I'm not actually curious about their life. I'm just trying to figure out that I'm doing better than they are. Which you always are. You win. (laughs) Hashtag fabulous. Yes. So I'm going to keep this Arthur thing going so that we can keep talking about discerning exactly where the line is between curiosity and love. So Harry experiences the way that Arthur talks to him as very loving. He's There's the line of one of the things that Harry likes being at the borough for so much is that everybody seemed to like him and how great that is for Harry. And the example that we get, the evidence that Harry sort of presents us with that he is liked in this house is that Arthur asks him all these questions about muggle life. And That seems to be using Harry for his knowledge, not about liking Harry. He doesn't ask Harry any questions about what was it like growing up in an abusive house? Is everything okay? Why weren't you writing back and forth to us? You know, you must have had such an awful summer. It's like, tell me everything you know. And so it's interesting that Harry's experiencing that about liking him when really it seems to me to be about loving muggles. 
yeah, there's a sort of instrumentalizing of Harry, right? He's just useful for as much knowledge as he has about the muggle world. But I wonder if, if we need to think of Arthur as part of a unit in the sense of the broader Weasley household, because we know that Molly is incredibly caring and very very conscious of feeding Harry, for example, you know, he gets eight or nine sausages as soon as she learns that he hasn't been eating. I think you're right that Arthur maybe is just just interested in his muggle knowledge. But for Harry, it's part of a broader experience of this Weasley household where he feels seen in all of his elements. Because you know what? At Hogwarts, no one's asking him about his muggle experience. And it is part of who he is and where he's come from. So And it might be nice for Harry to feel instrumentalized in some ways because it's a service that he can provide back to the Weasleys. The Weasleys are giving him so much. And it's so relieving to be asked for something when you feel indebted to someone, right? Students will come to me and say, like, I don't want to ask this favor of whomever. And it's like, it is a gift to tell someone specifically how they can show their love for you. Be like, it would mean a lot to me if you did X, Y, or Z. We often don't know how to be there for each other. So the fact that Mr. Weasley is telling Harry, like, these are stories we want to hear. This is a way that you can add joy to our house is actually really a loving act. What if Arthur already knows the answers to these questions and he's just asking it because he knows Harry will know the answer? I buy that. But before we get too easy on Arthur, I do want to point out something that struck me from this text. Arthur's curiosity is limited because he's an authority figure. So we know that he wants to ask a ton of questions once the boys come home from flying this car, which he has designed and is just thrilled that it worked. You know, he is so excited. And he starts to ask questions and Molly shuts it down because Molly's like, no, our boys did something A, illegal. You could have been fired, right? Could have had all these incredible consequences. The kids could have died. Literally. Mrs. Weasley is right. But she shuts down Arthur's inquisitive, you know, curious questions. And so I'm wondering, does this tell us something about how people in authority might be very curious about situations, but feel they're unable to actually explore those lines of thought or lines of inquiry? Because like Arthur, they have a position to maintain and can't be seen asking questions. To me, it says something about bureaucracy and it says something about how we're going to see the Ministry of Magic fail in its duty to stand up against Voldemort because people are inhabiting roles where they are not given permission to be curious. I love that. We both have this proctoring role with students. And because I'm an officer of the university, if I am aware that there's alcohol in the building because the kids are 18, I have to just shut down the party, right? Whereas in a perfect world, I would go in and be curious as to whether or not they were drinking responsibly and whether or not they were taking care of one another and, right, like trying to encourage that behavior. But because I'm an authority figure, there is a line that I have to toe and I do not get to be curious. And so instead, I find all these weird ways to like I probably shouldn't admit this, but like to not hear certain parties if it sounds like people are behaving well. And because, yeah, I don't have the permission to be curious. So I do think that power limits us. Curious isn't the only element of love. Boundaries also have to be involved in love and curiosity, which I wonder if Molly and Arthur are just a good team in that because Molly is not curious at all about what the boys were up to. She is just setting boundaries and is saying, like, this was bad. These could have been the consequences. And I was upset all night, worried, sick. And then Arthur gets to play the curious role. 
which feels gendered and unfair to me that like the mom has to be the bad cop and the dad comes home from work and just gets to be like, what shenanigans did you boys get up to? And like, I I think that maybe they as a team embody the balance between boundary and curiosity. Yeah, I think absolutely. And, and I think this is a classic moment where if they'd had five minutes to convene before facing the children, there would have been an amazingly united front, a balance of care, of frustration, of curiosity, of needing to lay down the law. But here, the elementary responses to this situation are on show. And, you know, Mrs. Weasley has to bear the brunt of that authority figure in a way that is absolutely unfair. And I think in some ways, because Arthur comes home and sees that that has already been dealt with in some way, he's like, fine, I'm just going to be fully curious when I fully know that also we need some discipline in this household. I also just wish that he was also curious about Molly's experience. It just must have been awful to be up all night worrying. I've, We've all, I'm sure, been in those circumstances where, like, you can't get a hold of someone you love and you're just worrying obsessively. And I just... I wish that Arthur expressed some curiosity of like, Molly, dear, are you okay? That must have been a really terrible night for you. I mean, all in all, I think Arthur, in so much of who he is, models curiosity. And I think maybe we found the one frontier in his relationship with Molly where he he might be able to bring the curiosity that he brings in his work life and his relationship with his children, with Harry, into his relationship with his wife. I agree. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the borough. Download the Redfin app to get started. Casper, something I was thinking about, something that struck me based on previous conversations that we've had, is Harry first sees the borough and he says it looks like it could be an old pigsty and that it's only really held up by magic. Oh, cool. It might actually only be held up by magic. And I'm just noticing the stark difference between that curious, joyful response to the borough and the way that there's just this one line where Fred and George are about to go down and get Harry's magical belongings from under the stairs at Privet Drive. And he says to Fred and George, watch out, the bottom stair is squeaky. And that just reminded me of how we've talked a lot about intimacy with spaces and And I think we've talked about it mostly in a positive way. And I was just thinking about, so Harry is intimate with Privet Drive, but he's intimate with it because it has oppressed him, not because he is loving and curious about it. He probably knows about the squeaky stairs so well because he slept under those stairs. So anytime anybody climbed that stair, it woke him up or he heard it. Or he knows that squeaky stair because when he has to sneak downstairs for food, he has to jump over it. Or because it means Vernon's coming up the stairs to yell at him, right? There are those symbols and sounds that we know and that we're intimate with that just my I I could smell my uncle before he arrived. He was a big smoker and he was abusive and we knew when he was coming, right? And but then I also know the sound of my mother's footsteps and I have such a positive association with that. I can tell the difference between my entire family's footsteps. I know exactly who's coming in and there's joy associated with that. And so I'm wondering where we see curiosity playing in with that. It's like knowing something that you don't want to know when someone tells you something and you're like, I wish I could unlearn that versus being curious. Like, how does this house work? This is such a good invitation for us to reflect on, Vanessa, because, you know, there's some real direct parallels between the two houses for Harry. You know, we see him do this backbreaking work at Privet Drive in the garden, you know, as punishment. And yet here, when the boys in the borough were sent to denome the garden, Harry says, oh, can I help? You know, he, he's choosing to do that kind of manual labor out in the front yard. So I wonder how much of that is about him feeling safe and loved and respected And I wonder how much is just about it's new. You know, if he lived at the Weasley's house for two years, three years, my goodness, there'd be things that would annoy him. You know, no doubt, wherever we end up, there's going to be things that grate us. So I I think it's perhaps a combination of those things that, that allow Harry to be curious and open and looking for adventure. Whereas at Privet Drive, you know, not only is he kind of imprisoned into one room, but Even his mind is kind of imprisoned. You know, even those two eyes in the hedge that he sees when he sees Dobby, he's not even that curious about those eyes. Like, it's just another... Oddity. Yeah. I think with Harry, we see what happens to him at Hogwarts and the way that it opens and stretches his mind and imagination. The same thing happens in the burrow. It's a place where he can grow. While in Privet Drive, it's, it's calcifying. He's just stuck. 
So, Vanessa, I'm thinking about how these new places and experiences help us remain curious. You know, as we get older and we're outside of formal education systems, how, like, what do you think about staying curious if it's something that we admire? I think it's why I travel still. Traveling is really hard for me. I get so excited about planning a trip. And then the week before I have to go, I dread it. I like don't want to pack. I don't want to get out of my comfortable surroundings, right? I'm like, ah, I'm going to be cold or whatever it is. And I always, always come back just on a high. And for weeks, right, it sustains me and it changes the way that I see things for long enough that I think it maybe even permanently slightly changes the way I see things. I certainly come down from the high, but I just come back from every trip I've ever been on with so much energy. And I think it's because I've been inspired. I've had to read signs in different languages and I've had my brain has had to work in order to figure out how to do really basic things like get my caffeine fix so I don't have a headache for the day, right? Like everything becomes complicated and difficult. That's a I think that's an important point that curiosity isn't easy. It's challenging because it stretches what we know. We don't know things. And it's so I want to honor that discomfort. Yeah, I feel like in America, for example, obviously I carry around a lot of race issues, but I was in Ireland last year and I there's a ton of Indian restaurants in Ireland. And I did not realize that I was asking an insensitive question. I was like, why are there so many Indian restaurants here? Like it's just everywhere. And somebody said to me, well, we had a common conqueror, right? We were imperialist nations from Great Britain. So there's like a real kinship that some Irish people feel to India, which never would have occurred to me. And I I felt exposed for being racist in this way that I can sort of hide behind the correct progressive language in America. And so it was it was so uncomfortable, but it also felt so good to be reminded about something about myself, which is that as progressive as I want to be, I, I'm inept. It, it reminds me of my ineptitude. It's incredibly humbling. I had an experience like that yesterday where I came across a word and two or three people were using it in videos that I watched that day or conversations that I had. And I was like, I know one meaning of this word, but it does not mean what these people are using it as. And I was like, do I in, do I interrupt and ask them what it means? Or do I like secretly go and look it up? Or do I just pretend that I know what it means and carry on? And like, I really had to choose intentionally to ask what it meant. And so, yeah. It's embarrassing to be curious sometimes. Exactly, because it means I don't know the answer. And I think that's what I love most about Arthur. And I think what's hardest to see, you know, for some of the students as we watch them develop in Hogwarts is that those, that curiosity is shut down. I want us to make a promise to each other right now that to our beautiful goddaughter, we will never say the phrase, curiosity killed the cat. The first time that somebody said that to me that I can remember, I asked a woman, I was like six or seven, and I asked a woman how old she was. And she was trying to teach me that it's like rude to ask people how old they are. But I don't know, I was six, and I'm like trying to figure out what the world looks like. And I didn't know if she was 16 or 50. Like I was trying to figure out the the world. And she said to me, curiosity killed the cat. And I felt so much shame. And if she had just made that about her and had said, like, I don't like talking about my age. And some people don't like talking about their age and had still exchanged information. I think that we shame children around their curiosity because we're embarrassed about something, not because curiosity is actually a bad thing.
So I'm curious, Vanessa, what spiritual practice are we doing today? Lectio Divina. Yay! I love it. Can I pick the sentence this time? Yes, please. Okay. Here we are. Seeing the shocked look on Harry's face, Ron added, It doesn't hurt them. You've just got to make them really dizzy so they can't find their way back to the gnome holes. Ooh. So, Casper, what is literally happening? Do stage one of Lectio Divina for us. So at this point in the chapter, Harry has chosen to help Ron, Fred, and George de-gnome the front yard. So there's these little gnomes who make their homes in the front yard of the burrow. And Mrs. Weasley says, boys, as punishment, you need to go out and do that. And they're kind of living things. So Harry is a little worried about hurting them. And Ron is explaining that there's a cruelty-free way of getting them out of the garden, at least temporarily. What about stage two, Vanessa? Would you read it for us again and think about the allegorical kind of symbols in this phrase? Seeing the shocked look on Harry's face, Ron added, it doesn't hurt them. You've just got to make them really dizzy so they can't find their way back to their gnome holes. Okay, so this is what I do to myself when I travel. I make myself so dizzy that I can't find my way back to my comfortable little place where I'm like more racist than I want to be or more, right? It's reminding me of the story of the Jews having to leave Egypt and they go to this great place, the promised land. But the reason that they have to escape from Egypt is because they were slaves in Egypt for generations and they have to walk through the desert for 40 years to get there. And so I I think that that's God sort of, you know, spinning around the Jews until they can find their way not back to their original sort of gnome hole of slavery and oppression that they had in Egypt, but to start fresh in their promised land. Okay, Casper, so step three of Lectio Divina, where do you see this in your own life? How can you apply this to your life? The thing that's really hitting me is that it doesn't work. (laughs) Right? When you do it to someone else against their will. Yeah, Yeah. like the gnomes are back later that day. And so it's, it's reminding me of solutions that are applied from above on top of a problem which, hey, maybe isn't really a problem, and it doesn't even work. This this is like bad authority all over the place. So, you know, it reminds me again of the kind of ineffectual, unthinking, potentially even cruel authority systems. Who says it doesn't hurt them? You know, are the gnomes saying that? Gnomes seem to be pretty unhappy that they're being thrown out. This is a displacement of people. This is gentrification. This is trail of tears. How dare they just throw these gnomes out? Who says the gnomes weren't there first, Weasleys? (laughs) I completely agree. When I get sent on a work trip, I try to make the best of it, but... I often will just like stay in my Radisson hotel room and watch TV and right like I'm not necessarily curious. I didn't pick the place. I don't have any control over where I get to see and what I get to do and so when somebody else sends you on something when you don't have control over it, you're not going to do a good job, right? You can't you can't recover from anything until you make the choice. Vanessa, I'm just going to read it one more time and then let's go to step 4 of our Lectio Divina. Seeing the shocked look on Harry's face, Ron added, It doesn't hurt them. You've just got to make them really dizzy so they can't find their way back to the gnome holes. What is this snippet of chapter three calling you to do in your life? I think that as I gain more authority in the world, which is 
inevitable as we get older and we get more experience. I just think that I want to remind myself to really stay curious and not make assumptions about what is hurting people and what is helping people, but to always stay in conversation and in partnership with people, even as I gain authority. Like, we don't get to decide what hurts other people, right? I don't get to decide what is good for my students and what's not. What about you, Casper? The thing that really stands out to me, Vanessa, is that Ron says this, responding to the shocked look on Harry's face. So there's something in Harry which which finds this difficult. You know, he's like, oh, I know what it's like to be treated badly. And here we are treating something else badly. I'm concerned about this. And so in a way, even though it's just visual, Harry is kind of calling out something which is wrong. So I guess what I'm being called to do is to really respond if someone looks uncomfortable or if someone it seems like someone's picking up on something which is icky and it doesn't feel right even though I feel fine to try and listen to hey like what are you seeing that I'm not seeing help me understand rather than what Ron is doing here which is like oh don't worry about it they're fine or at least to be sad about it right so I I had bed bugs years ago and I was not sad about trying to displace the bed bugs, right? I was like, see ya, get out of my house. You're eating me and destroying all my things. But I've lived in New York and now I live in Boston and we, we get mice. And that is hard for me, you know, thinking about do I want a trap that just kills the mouse or do I want a quote unquote humane trap that catches the mouse? But then the mouse, if I'm not home, is just being tortured in this tiny cell for potentially hours and then I'm releasing it. And and could come back tomorrow. And could come back tomorrow and they carry disease and and just there isn't a good solution. And so I think I just have to be sad about that, you know? And I'm not sure that this makes a material difference, but like, what if they all joined hands and were like, we're sorry, gnomes. This sucks. Like, mom needs the garden and, you know, we're weighing our options. And I rather than just being like, oh, it doesn't hurt them. Hmm. This is great because Rowling is constantly using not human creatures, like these humanoid creatures like house elves and gnomes in order to illuminate the way that we go around negotiating in our world. And what I really love about her using these non-human creatures is that it takes the sting of judgment out of what's going on. We don't feel like the Weasleys are displacing a native people, right? It's it's gnomes. It's funny. But it gives us an opportunity to reflect on when we do displace native creatures. And is it okay that I'm displacing mice? And I've sort of decided that it is okay. And I've definitely decided that it's okay to displace bedbugs. And where is that line? But gentrification, right, is definitely over that line. And Right. Is it because the gnomes can speak that we listen? Is it because the mouse has eyes and is potentially cute and furry while spiders are not like where is that line and i think that what we can really pay attention to in these books is the people who transgress those boundaries so hagrid is half giant and half human right forense is a centaur but is willing to transgress that line to go and teach at hogwarts and it's in those characters that we're really able to see where our judgment and and perception of whether it's these magical creatures or whether it's people in our world who we usually ignore, like we're challenged by their participation in our story, in our reality. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place. 
so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Our voicemail this week comes from Michelle Sisko. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. This is Michelle calling from Nashville, Tennessee. I had a thought about the house system and my favorite house, Hufflepuff in particular, and how being a member of Hufflepuff House almost means that you automatically have an identity crisis. So I noticed that each year that the Sorting Hat sings his song before the sorting ceremony. With the other houses, there's a very clear identifier associated with being a Gryffindor, being a Ravenclaw, being a Slytherin. You're told that if you're sorted into Gryffindor, you're brave above everything else. And if you're sorted into Ravenclaw, then you're smart. And if you're in Slytherin, it means that you're ambitious, which let's face it is a euphemism at Hogwarts for being a jerk. But at least you know that you're a jerk. But with Hufflepuff, every year the Sorting Hat says something a bit different. One year he says, well, they're loyal. And another year it's that they're hard workers. And one year he pretty much says that the founder of Hufflepuff pretty much took all the rejects that none of the other founders wanted in their own houses. So what that kind of leaves Hufflepuffs with is a sort of identity crisis because they don't have this external source telling them who they are or at least who they are going to be at Hogwarts. Um, and I wonder if that's actually not a bad thing. So 
I have to think of Neville Longbottom, who's my favorite character, even though he's in Gryffindor. He gets assigned this really uh, big attribute to live up to, that he's brave above all else. And of course, he starts out being this really wimpy kid. And I think he spends a lot of energy being preoccupied with trying to uphold that virtue that these outside sources are telling him he is. And of course, we find out in the end that Neville is brave, or we actually find that out pretty uh, quick in the first book. But with Hufflepuffs, they don't really have that convenience. They don't have someone else telling them who they are. And I think that can be really scary in a lot of ways. But in another way, it kind of gives them a lot of flexibility to explore their own identities. And when they have that flexibility, at the end of the day, they get to decide who they are at Hogwarts and in general. They get to decide if you know, they're most loyal or if they're hardworking or maybe some attribute that the Sorting Hat hasn't even mentioned. And I think that's just a very lovely thing. So uh, I hope you enjoyed my message. I'm really enjoying your show and I'm looking forward to many more episodes. Thanks, Michelle. As a Hufflepuff, I just really appreciate you complicating the idea of what it means to be a Hufflepuff. We are not the loser house. We are the best house. Best house in fourth place, but still, that's nice. We're wonderful. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Vanessa, it's time to bless someone from this chapter. Who are you going to bless this week? I am going to bless Jenny Weasley. I have an older brother, and I used to have crushes on his friends when they would come over. And I want to bless the love of 11-year-olds. I think that we call that love puppy love and crushes and we call it naive and it's not it's wholehearted and it's everything to them she is running around this house just feeling so many feelings and she has this boy who she loves in the house with her and she's sort of invisible to all of us and I think that that's in a way that We treat all children's feelings as silly and irrelevant. And I just feel really called to acknowledge Ginny and her love for Harry. And I love that over the arc of the books, we find out that their love is true. And I think that that is a validating gesture for the state that Ginny is in right now. She's just she's in pain because she loves this boy so much. Casper, who would you like to bless this week? I'm going to bless Arthur Weasley. I think the moment of pure delight that he has when, you know, who knows how long he's been working on this car. It could have been years. It could have been decades that he's been enchanting little bits of screws and steering wheels and glass windows. And the mix of pride he probably feels in himself for creating this thing and in his sons who not only flew it but went to fly it for a good reason to rescue a friend. I think he probably just feels like the choices he's made about investing time in this car and raising his sons the way he has have just turned out right. So my blessing is for Arthur and anyone who is seeing the fruits of good decisions this week. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Next week, we'll read Chapter 4 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets at Flourish and Blots 
through the theme of shame. Some announcements for this week. Don't forget to book your ticket for the live show on our website, harrypottersacredtext.com. Please subscribe and review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. And email us voicemails with our new prompt at harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com. You can find our new prompt on our website. This episode was produced by Ariana Nettleman, Vanessa Zoltan, and me, Casper Terkyle. Our social media coordinator is Jen Stark. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll. Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is part of the Panoply Network. You'll find ours and other great shows at panoply.fm. This week, we'd like to thank Michelle Sisko for her wonderful voicemail, Rebecca and Charlie Ludley, Stephanie Paulsell, and you, our listeners. We always, like, associate it with, like, gossip, right? Like, curiosity killed the cat. I think it, it might be a really positive force. Amen. Here, here. To the curious. <laughs> L'chaim. <laughs>